let's um, ask God for help as we um, study the passage together. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your word. We just thank you for how it um, impacts our life, Lord. I just pray that as we look and study your word, that we won't fall into the traps of false teaching, Lord, but that we will look to you as our solid anchor. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope, I wonder if you've ever had the privilege of going to Ikea. I'm sure some, or if not all of you have, but basically it's this huge store where you get to walk through various rooms and look at completed furniture you want to buy. After going through all the rooms, you're you're then taken to the warehouse where you will find the furniture in flat pack cardboard boxes. Of course, you take it home and you start the building process. You have the instruction leaflet, you have the parts to build it, and don't forget you've seen the the finished article in the showroom. So you know what it's supposed to look like. Well, what if you decided, you know what, I bought my furniture for to build this bed, okay? But I decided, you know what, I can do better. I have parts for this complete bed, but I think I'm going to use this to make a table. Now, I'm no way creative enough to make that happen, for any of you that know me. But that would probably, you can imagine how strange that would begin to look. I'm essentially saying that what I see, what it's supposed to be, and I'm choosing to reject it and ignore the instructions. I have the furniture parts I've used against their original design and intention. And as crazy as that may seem, we as Christians can find ourselves doing the same thing with our lives. We have the Old Testament, which shows us um, the Lord's law and his characteristics and his redemption plan. We have the Gospels, which paint a beautiful picture of the person of Christ and his teachings and what he accomplished on the cross. We have Paul's instructions in his letters to the work of the Holy Spirit. We have the elements and instructions to live as godly people. And yet we're still tempted to take our lives out of God's design and intention. We have the pieces, but we rely on our own understanding, giving in to our own ideas, and believing they are truth. Yet this isn't a new idea. Throughout scripture, it shows us since sin entered the world, we've been seeking to stray away from the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is fighting against the very same issue. Within Second Timothy, Paul who was imprisoned, is writing to Timothy, who was in Ephesus. And he's reminding Timothy to protect the gospel in chapter 1. For it reads in verse 14, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He goes on in chapter 2 to say to be a soldier of the Lord, focused on the work, keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus. For chapter 2, verse 8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And this brings us to our passage this morning. After Paul explains the seriousness of protecting the gospel, Paul Paul begins chapter 3 explaining why. And so this brings me to my first point, a godless heart in verses 1 to 5. A godless heart, 1 to 5. Paul gives a list of characteristics that will be prominent in the last days. Now, although we don't have time to break down all 19 expressions, 
Paul paints an extensive picture of what happens to a heart when it is exposed to a different gospel and follows its own path. In the two previous chapters, Paul urging Timothy to guard, act, and meditate on God's truth. Because if he doesn't, well, the consequences are serious. I don't know about you, but it can be very easy to downplay the seriousness of sin. We can sometimes allow sin to have a foothold in our life, and we start to begin to think less of it. Even that sounds like a minor issue. But the danger with that is, if we allow ourselves to think that way, well, we're doing two things. One, we're questioning God's rule, for he determines what is right and true. And second, we're undermining Christ's work on the cross. Because if sin becomes a minor issue, well then, we can be led to believe that Jesus living a perfect life, going to the cross, dying in our place to have everlasting life, well, that becomes a minor gesture. And so we need to see sin and the gospel for what it truly is. Romans 6.23, some of us will know it well. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul understood the seriousness of abiding in Christ. And so let's pray as a church that we treasure God's word in our hearts. That we never become anti-God in our godliness. Moving on, Paul notes that although they carry all these qualities, they appear godly, but deny its power in verse 5. In Paul's context, the false teachers were acting religious, but they didn't believe in the power the Christian would have. And so they were bringing their pagan beliefs to build on the work of Jesus. But Paul says to avoid such people. Now, Paul isn't saying to cut yourself off from society or avoid unbelievers. Because we're to be a witness to those around us. But Paul is explaining that we need to protect the leaders of our churches. We need to pray for them. We need to stand for the truth that their hearts won't fall um, for false teaching. And to go further, we need to protect the church body. Being accountable for one another. That we don't invite individuals or groups that teach or spread ideas that are contrary to God's word. And as hard as that may be, people are going to have to be removed from places of influence to protect the rest of the flock. But continue to, be, to earnestly pray for your church, that we as a church body continue to rely on the Lord daily, fixing our eyes onto him. And so the second section is a godless approach in verses 6 to 9. Paul not only calls out the behavior of the false teachers, but shows Timothy how they're infiltrating the church. They creep into the households out of public eye, capturing the weak and vulnerable women of the church. The verb Paul uses here to capture is the same verb used to capture prisoners of war. And so this strong element of enticing and getting a hold of the vulnerable women. Now these women that Paul was referring to were Christians um, in the church, but they were grieved by their sins and opened their ears to anything that would seem to heal their heart. Of course, Paul isn't assuming that all women of the church are weak, but he's emphasizing that false teachers will target weaker individuals to build their idea. They will always seek to build themselves up, learning, but never arriving at the truth. Of course, and and yet, and more, that's more common than we think. We love self-recognition, don't we? We love feeling 
and receiving praise for doing well or being rewarded for our achievements. But sometimes we can often crave it. It's that selfish approach where we place others below ourselves. And so it's not surprising that these false, that these deep thinkers were distorting the truth. Eager to learn about God, yet falling short of seeing the gospel as it is. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10, 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. These false teachers were trying to figure out the deeper questions, but rejected the simple truth a child could understand. And so don't misunderstand me here either. Continue to study God's word more and more and ask and wrestle with them bigger questions. But don't neglect the simple truth that we are helpless in our sin, but we are made whole in Christ. Paul goes on um, to give an example. I'm naming Janus and Jambres. Now, these men aren't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but we do know that they stood against Moses. They were corrupted at heart and sadly didn't have the right faith. Although there's mystery to who these men were, Paul assures Timothy and us that their truth will fail and will be plain to others. So as a church, we have the assurance that although we are going to face challenges for standing for truth, we are rest assured that God's word has and will stand for centuries, which is still impacting and changing hearts and lives today. And so this brings me to my second half A godly approach. A godly approach in verses 10 to the end of the chapter. In contrast to the false teachers, Paul gives himself a... He doesn't creep into... For Paul is open about his faith and conduct. He has nothing to hide. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, do what I say, not as I do. We are all probably maybe guilty of saying that or hearing someone say that uh, to us. But that's not the approach of Paul here. Paul not only instructs Timothy, but leads by an example. What a challenging thought. As pastors, elders, deacons, or even a member of the church who's a role model to those who are older and younger, I wonder if you can say with Paul, my Teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness has been an example to follow. Because just like Paul, we must imitate Christ in all areas of our life, whether that's at the home, on the church, the work, at your work, and much more. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Are you living out the gospel or are you living a a double life? Because Paul points out the suffering he faced when he was in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now, Timothy would have known the suffering of these places, um, of other places such as Philippi, Ephesus, and Rome. But Paul chooses to name Lystra, which is Timothy's hometown, Iconium, and Antioch, to mark the persecution Paul faced when he met Timothy, showing him that these sufferings are not new. And yet he endured them because the Lord delivered him from them. Even through all the persecution and suffering Paul faced, he still relied on the Lord. Even more, the Lord delivered him from them. What an encouragement to hear that God is with his people in their joy and in their sadness. 
This is the God who reigns and who we serve. No wonder the psalmist cries out in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations will rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. How encouraging to know the Lord never forsakes his people and continues to deliver them time and time again. Now, when Paul says the Lord delivered him, he wasn't saying that the Lord prevented the persecution here or the pain or the heartache, but that the Lord protected and preserved his life throughout his ministry. Sometimes as Christians, it can be very tempting to believe things like, the Lord would never let that happen to me. Or we can maybe have the response of Job's friends. He must have done something to deserve it. But the truth is suffering can come to any one of us. But in our suffering, God is shaping and molding us for his honor and glory. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7 reads this. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the test the genuineness of your faith for precious, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so I hope and pray that in your pain and suffering, it will produce fruit and praise and honor to God. Paul continues, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. When I was little, I grew up believing that when you had nothing to lose when you become a Christian, I thought that you could live a life that I wanted to live and then maybe have Jesus as a bolt on. I could live in both worlds. Yet, as time goes on, you start to see that does not work. That you probably have more experiences than I have and the struggles that come with that. But there is a cost to following Jesus. There will be times where we will break down and weep. But we will, as Paul says, face persecution. Now, Paul and the first century believers, it, following Christ was extremely costly. The church was targeted by the community, the authorities, and by false teachers. To follow Christ, you were putting your job, family, status, and life on the line. And although we don't face the same extremes as these believers in our country, many believers are suffering around the world for the name of Christ. But let's not isolate ourselves from them. For we stand with these brothers and sisters for the same truth. Therefore, we need to be prepared to face trials as they come. And don't be surprised if your friends, family, or anyone else doesn't understand it. For Daniel 12, verse 10, um, says, Many will be purged, purified, and refined, 
but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And so take comfort. Know you have a church family who understands the, the, the cost of following Jesus. And yet, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so, as costly as following Jesus may be, gaining Christ outweighs anything this life can take from us. That even means death. For me to live as Christ and die is gain. I wonder if you can say that this morning. And so, I hope to uplift your hearts um, this morning as Paul then gives his command. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and I firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so if you're a Christian this morning, you have a charge. Despite the pain, suffering, and trials you face, you have a duty to hold fast to God's word. For it gives us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to, a life, to live a life that is faithful to our King. Scripture, the Bible, isn't just a, a quick help book here. It isn't a collection of ideas. It consists of over 35 authors inspired by the Holy Spirit over the span of one and a half thousand years. Scripture is interwoven by God, and so it is true and sure. We are not just to believe it, we are to use it. And so the word of the Lord is our anchor. As Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for all these things. As one commentator has described God's word like this, The Bible is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I hope you see that while life can be hard at times, there's a God we can rely on. You see, we are born in sin. That list at the beginning of the chapter, that's what describes us all. Far from God, but it's through Jesus that we can have be forgiven, standing blameless before him. And so I pray that you will trust him and see that following Jesus is worth the cost, that he is the only anchor that remains the test of time. Let's pray before we come to the Lord's table.